Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Christmas Eve is part of one of those three holidays, right? I think so. Christmas Eve and... Christmas Eve and... Um, Christmas Day. And after Christmas Day? Boxing Day. Oh, yeah. That's why you are trying to fight me earlier. It's Boxing Day. <laughs> I don't think it's that type of boxing. <laughs> Wait a minute. Why, that, why, why do I have a black eye? Is it? Is it just... Is Boxing Day Canadian only or is it also... I think it's in the UK, man. That's a, It's big in the UK. Is it? Cool. Yeah, yeah, because they like to fight, man. <laughs> anyway, we wanted to surprise you with a, a non-scheduled surprise episode for Christmas. And and so this episode is for all of our listeners, um, but it's three of our favorite creations that we've put on Patreon over the last year. We did a, a bonus episode. I think it was number 10. And I think it's my favorite podcast that we ever recorded period and i said man we can't just let no one hear this in our regular <laughs> audience how do we get this out but it was only for patreon supporters and then we did this great live stream in in dayton ohio in, in which we we talked about um we talked about we answered a bunch of questions from patreon supporters and so we'll put that in there we'll put the audio from that it was a video obviously if it's a live stream but then uh we'll put the audio of that in there and then we have one more episode we recorded in dayton ohio it was uh, a bonus episode in which we we answered a lot of questions that um man it was oh by the way I, one thing i should say there was a word that i meant to say during that bonus episode and it was well-being we, the, the guy asked us like how can minimalism help the greater good Mm. and and what i was trying to say is there are different levels of well-being and so uh, sean if there's a way for you to insert that word well-being every time i had screwed up and was searching for that word but anyway it was, otherwise it was it was a great episode so we want to share these three shorter episodes sort of paste them all together and say merry christmas happy holidays and every other holiday uh whatever you whatever you're celebrating we wanted to give you this little audio gift for you. And if you do want to support the podcast, you can do so on Patreon. Just head on over to theminimalists.com and click donate at the top of the page. All right. Happy holidays, y'all. Enjoy this bonus episode of The Minimalist Podcast. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Howdy. Good evening. Uh, my name is Larry. I'm from Burnaby. And I uh, really appreciate you guys coming all this way. Obviously, you have a lot of fans here, and uh, we appreciate the, the message that you have. Um, several months ago, I was listening to one of your podcasts where you shared some of the, the criticism that you received on social media um, about the message that you have. And it was really quite entertaining and rather shocking that so many people, rather than just simply ignore your message, would go well out of their way to criticize what you have to say. What do you think is is the reason? What what bush buttons are you pushing, or or what's the reason for this uh, criticism that you would receive on such a positive message that you have? I think I think the 
Well, the, the, the short answer to that is judgment is but a mirror that reflects the insecurities of the person who's doing the judging. And, and I, I think there, there are two types of, of... I parse out criticism from feedback. And, and I, I don't just graciously accept feedback, I seek it out. And usually it's from people who, whose opinions I value. And so I will seek out feedback because it makes whatever I'm creating better. The reason our documentary uh, was so effective is because we were constantly hammering at each other, you know, the whole team going back and forth. It wasn't just one person's idea. We were all giving each other feedback and being willing to accept that feedback. And uh, in order to do that, though, you have to sort of create a space in which, an environment in which you can thrive. Uh, otherwise, you're just going to get the criticism, which is, is mostly noise. Yeah, man. I have the same question. <laughs> no, you know, I think um, I try to put myself in, like, critic shoes because... I really do want to understand where people come from and not just like brush it off and be like, well, they're just jerks and you know, we're, <laughs> we're great and they're jerks. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that. Um, but when I put myself in their shoes, like the only way I can really come to a common ground is like, everybody knows that money doesn't buy happiness but we all want to try it out just to see. <laughs> and I think that it stems from a lot of that where instead of someone, and I've, I've been guilty of this so much in my life, instead of like looking at something uh, logically or um, stepping back and looking at a situation, like I will hold on to a feeling. And I think with the people who you know, really come after us. It's, it's a matter of like, they really have the feeling of like, no, like having a, a huge closet full of stuff. It does, it is going to make me happy and it does make me happy. And, uh, having a yacht, no, that really would make me happy. And, and they hold on to that. And you know what? People are entitled to their feelings, but what I'll say is just because someone is offended, it doesn't make them right. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks brother. Appreciate it. Hi, uh, my name is Martha. I'm from Kamloops. Um, Howdy. I wanna, hi. And I want to say, first of all, Josh, thank you so much for your story about your mom, because it was a real epiphany for me. I lost my parents in early 2000s, and I have six of the largest Rubbermaid containers I could buy yeah. full of their stuff. And it, I recently saw your Netflix um, show, and it's made a huge difference, and it's allowing me to let go. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Um, and then the next thing, I started decluttering, and I'm really glad you guys talked about values because one of the things I'm struggling with is I'm donating to Goodwill and I'm giving to friends, but I've just got so much crap that is going to end up in the landfill, and I totally struggle with that, that sense of not being responsible for my overindulgences, and I feel like it's not right for me to just be able to abdicate that responsibility and fill the landfill. And I just, I really struggle with that. And I just wondered if you guys have any ideas or whether you struggled with that yourselves. 
Yeah, it's already in the landfill. Well, actually, that's what my son said. Yeah, and I mean it is, and like I mean, looking at it as a as a sunk cost is probably the best perspective you could have on it, because what's going to happen? I mean, you could hold on to it, great, like and keep it out of the landfill. Well, you know, I would say first off, now it's decomposing slower because it's sitting in your house. <laughs> um, but then it eventually Climate will controlled. Yeah, <laughs> right. But it, it eventually will end up in the landfill. Um, I, yeah, I, I struggled with that too because there were things where like I couldn't donate, I couldn't sell, and I couldn't recycle. And I'm like, man, some of this stuff is just gonna like end up in the landfill just because. I have spent, you know, at, at that time, I had spent 28 years really screwing up my life. Like, it, it, I wasn't going to allow that to, like, hold me back from living a meaningful life after that. So, um, yeah, that sucks that you're going to put some stuff in the landfill, but stop doing that. Yeah, that's my plan. Right? <laughs> I, I'm sorry for your loss, and I, I know it's difficult to part with other people's stuff that... Uh, you have a sentimental attachment with as well. Um, so, so a few things. When I was getting rid of stuff, I, I, I put it into three piles. It was sell, donate, or trash. But that trash was sort of a, a catch-all for several things. One was, can I recycle it, right? Or repurpose it in some way. Um, most things you can donate and, and find a good home for. And so Ryan and I don't advocate a zero-waste lifestyle. I to me, that is pie in the sky, and it actually deters people from being environmentally responsible. And so what, we, what, what we're advocating is consume less, produce less waste. And, and so going forward, I think that's what your mindset is, and I think it's important to continue to maintain that. But right now, the, the waste is already there. Your, your function at this point is to determine what is actually waste, and what can be repurposed, reused, resold, um, and then what you're going to have to let go of. But uh, here's a pithy answer for you. You're going to have to let go to move on. Great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. I know we have probably one zero-waste person in this crowd right now. And probably, yeah. <laughs> there she is. Really sorry about the tickets. That screwed everything up for you, I know. <laughs> um, uh, and I know there's people listening to this. I totally admire that lifestyle, by the way. Um, I, I think that it is, a, it, it is a very awesome thing to shoot for. It, is, it would be like me um, wishing that everyone in the world would become a minimalist. It, it's, you know, it's just not, not going to happen. But I totally admire it. And... I'm totally a voice of compassion here, man. <laughs> I'm just like totally going out to the zero waste folks. Uh, I, I, I love you guys. And like, I'm so happy that you all do that. And I hope that one day I can like minimize my waste even more than what I do now. Um, so yeah, you're going to be less, than my hats zero off waste? to all my hats off to all of you. Yes. Less negative waste. <laughs> <laughs> I eat other people's trash. <laughs> Minimalism. What's your name, man? Where are you from? Yeah, I'm Kevin. Howdy. Oh, nice to meet you, I'm man. I'm from up the street, basically. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty close. <laughs> Kevin from up the street, all right. <laughs> First, I just want to thank the guy that sold me his tickets and drove down from North Van 10 minutes before the show. And, uh, 
Oh, beautiful, man. Oh, that's killer. Very cool. Whatever his name is, but yeah. Yeah. So basically, I found out about you guys kind of before summer and, uh, you know, watched your thing on Netflix, kind of read your book. So as I started to declutter and get rid of all the weed in my life, I found out kind of what was left is, you know, the relationships in my life and the important things. And kind of the difficult part I'm having now is wondering how do I deal with the difficult decisions and how do I deal with, you know, the there is a weight in relationships, like the weight of other people and other people's kind of problems, you know, your family and people close to you. How do you guys deal with that weight and what to let, you know, sink into your kind of day to day and what to kind of leave out? Like, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Ryan, you want to tackle the relationships or tackle the decisions? Yeah, that sounds good. Um, Man, I, <sighs> I try not to air too much dirty laundry of like my family's problems on, on in public because I respect them and like I know that they don't want me like talking about their personal stuff. Um, uh, I will I will say this. I think they'd be okay with this. Um, I got a, I have a brother in prison right now. Um, he was addicted to drugs, and it led him to. Um, just committing a lot of robbery where eventually he got caught and and like now he's in prison uh, for felonies. And um, that's just the tip of the iceberg in my family, man. Uh, And, and that's that there's a lot of weight there and there's a lot of weight with a lot of other things, but I'll tell you like the best, the best way I can help what I'm learning, like the best way I can help my family is by being the best example possible and living the most meaningful life possible. And when I started, it didn't seem that way because there was so much pushback and there was so much um, judgment that was just being thrown my way because of the website and um, you know me kind of pressing against like everything that our, our Western society is told to do. And uh, it took years and years and years. Um, I don't want to say years and years and years, but it took years. Like, I'll say my mom, she came out to visit me in Missoula two years ago uh, for the first time. Maybe it was three years ago. And, um, like, when she she, uh, got out her her luggage, um, the first thing she did is she, like, pulls out, like, this flower vase and like some candles and I'm like shit man like she's gonna give me a present like like I mean it, you know it wasn't that big of a deal as much as I, like in my head I'm like okay I have to like oh this is great thank you and then like you know I was gonna like donate it or something but like before I could even like really get the thought process she was like hey uh, here's some things I got for you I know this is your, you and Mariah's new home I love you I'm really really uh, proud of you for what you've done and I just wanted to show you guys how much like I am I am proud of you. And uh I understand that these things may not fit well in your life. Um, but if they don't, that's fine. Like just find them find them a good home for you know, for me. And that was the first time. And it took up like three years until my mom finally was like, Oh, like I, I see where this is going. I, I see how this is this is benefiting your life, uh, and and she respected it. So I, I guess all I can say is, like all that baggage, all the baggage of my, like my, 
I will literally get a phone call once or twice a month with some, and I could just wow you with crazy family stories. Like <laughs> it's always an emergency too. over the next year, and it's always an emergency, always an emergency. And I'll tell you, um, I'm there. I am supportive. I am loving. I am kind. Uh, but I will not let someone else get in my way of living a meaningful life. Ryan, that reminds me of uh, on episode 83, we had a, a friend of ours, Rob Bell, on, on, on the podcast. And uh, I think the advice he would give you to distill it down is you're going to have to have a funeral for the way you wish things were with those other people and accept the way that they are. You know, if, if I were to give my pithy answer, it's you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. But, but you can also accept what's going on for what it is. In terms of, of making a decision, uh, if you're having trouble making a decision about something or if you're feeling indecisive, it's because you don't have enough leverage. And uh, we, we, get, we have a whole lot of shoulds in our life. I should work out. Should improve my relationships. I should start writing that book. I uh, should work on getting that promotion. I should start that hobby, that passion project. I should contribute more than I contribute. I should read more. We should all over ourselves. <laughs> and the only way to make a change, to make a real decision, is to change that should into a must. And and. and you need the leverage to do that. Think about a time that you've made, a, you've been so decisive. I'm going to do this. I'm going to start today. No more. I can't wait until the future. It has to happen right now. That's because you had enough leverage and it was no longer a should. You said, I must do this and I won't accept anything less than, than what I need to accomplish. So you've turned those shoulds into must. You're, you'll, you'll be able to make a decision really easily. Howdy. Hi. My name is Carolyn. I'm from Burnaby. Um, Welcome. Hi. Um, so I had a question about minimalism. I've been decluttering my life, uh, physical possessions mostly, um, but now I'm finding myself at a point where detachment is um, almost like uh, I've taken it too far. So I know that, Joshua, you mentioned that when your bag had gone missing, you're almost like, oh, that's okay. Like You, don't, you weren't so upset about losing that one bag, that one black shirt you had that you brought, that was your extra shirt. Yeah. Um, so for me, I'm wondering if you have advice for people that might have taken minimalism um, too far in a sense of an emotional attachment, being detached from certain personal relationships, for example. I'm just thinking now, like, what if that was the only shirt I had with me? I would be like, why the hell are you walking around with your shirt on? <laughs> <laughs> why, why was it in your bag? <laughs> like as you're standing there making your pecs dance. <laughs> My OCD was flaring up so I couldn't wear a shirt. Um, man, uh, um, I, I don't think it's a bad thing to, to have like this, this radical detachment as long as it's from the right stuff. And, and, and usually that right stuff is stuff. You know, when I say minimalism is the thing that gets us past the things so we can make room for life's most important things, uh, uh, you know, sort of the, the triple entendre there. But, but what I mean by that is the things are just things, right? And you are not your things. I, I am not my passport or the black shirt that uh, got stolen or, you know, my car or 
my house or, or, or whatever, uh, the thing should augment our experience of life. And when I bring something new into my life, I need to be able to afford it. That's important, right? And uh, uh, even like losing this stuff, I could afford to replace it because I have an emergency fund set up, right? And so I've been really deliberate about my finances over the last six, seven years. And um, I've saved up an emergency fund so I can deal with emergencies like that. That would be the perfect use case for an emergency fund. It's, you know, being robbed is an emergency. And, and so when I, when I detach, I want to make sure that I'm detaching appropriately. And, and, and I don't want to be detached from life. I want to be detached from giving meaning to stuff. Yeah, I, I think you said specifically um, detachment from relationships. So when it comes to relationships, uh, it's part of my daily practice. Like every day, like I'm asking myself, like how have I added value to not just other people's lives, but like the people closest to me? And uh, I will go way out of my way to show my partner Mariah, Josh, Jess, Sean, to show them like how much I appreciate them. And I think that's important. So I think that you certainly could become too detached from people um, and it would affect your life in a negative way. Uh, so for me, like, it's just asking that question, like how, how can you add value to the people who are, who are closest to you? Like what can you do for them to show them that you truly love them it might just be supporting him too. Like it might just be listening to him. Like with, with uh, like my mom, it's just you know calling her and keeping up with her, and I love the conversations we have. And sometimes she wants to like, you know, rant about crazy reptile people, conspiracy theory stuff. That like, I'm like, yeah, those reptile people <laughs> really screwing up the government. It's um, it's, a, it's a big thing in America. It's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of joking, kind of. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it, but you know, even sitting through something like that, it's like I know that me listening to my mom is is really doing a lot for her because she just wants to be heard. So, um, if you're having feelings coming up that's saying, "Oh man, like I am becoming too disassociated or unattached to the people around me." And, and, and it's like a visceral, that guilt feeling maybe, like that's, that, is a, that is a signal for you to change. That is a signal for something to change. Um, now, you know, don't feel guilty about it 10 years from now. But uh, yeah, experience that guilt and act on that and like ask how can you, how can you, uh, you know, reinvigorate that relationship or whatever. But yeah, I, I certainly, because um, as much as like Josh and I talk about getting rid of shitty relationships and, you know, cutting people out of your life who are, um, who are trying to prevent you from living a meaningful life. Like I still do stand by that, but yeah, you certainly don't want, want to get to a point where you're, you're just cutting everyone out of your life. I think minimalism, honestly, um, well, let me take a step back. There, there was someone in somewhere in the UK, but they're like minimalism. It's selfish. It's all about, it's all about like focusing on yourself and focusing on how you can improve your life and you know so forth and so on. And I would say like that is that is the start. I think 
is, is to improve one's self. But for me, it was getting to a point where like, I finally felt like I had enough time and attention uh, after minimizing and, and, and reeling myself in to give to, towards other people. And I think ultimately like that is what, for me, that's what minimalism really comes down to. It's, it's about creating a simple life for yourself so you have, you have the energy, you have the time, you have the other resources to contribute beyond yourself in a meaningful way. So um, yeah, don't, don't ever stop contributing. Thank you. All right, let's dive into these questions. All right, cool. We got quite a few. We're going to start with uh, Catherine Crook's question, I think. Or maybe we won't. We're going to start with... Uh, you do control. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've got him. I've got him here. All We're right. going to start with Tanya Olson's question. She says, you say, show me your schedule and I'll show you your priorities. Yeah, we do say that sometimes. Um, do you have any tips for rules on how to schedule your day so that your priorities are, in fact, your true priorities? Right, mm. man. Um, I don't know how to answer this. Like, I'm trying to think of this profound truism to say even more so about you know your priorities aren't what you say the they truism's are. The truism's it's, it's already what right you there. Do. Yeah, I mean, it's here's what it comes down to for me. Those things that I schedule in my calendar, uh, the things that I schedule first are my priorities, and I treat my calendar as gospel. I do not allow other things to uh, cut in to uh, those those times I have set aside to work out, that I have set aside uh, time to read, uh, that I have set aside time to write, or even if it's just to hang out with Mariah um, and, you know, we, we had planned dinner or something. Uh, those things are... Are, uh, are are held gospel. So I do not I do not let anything interfere with those. I guess I'm just having trouble because I mean what I'm hearing her say here, Tanya, right? What I'm hearing Tanya say here is she schedules her week, but she lets everything else get into the way. I mean, my, my, the biggest piece of advice is well, it's not about um it, it's you don't have to do anything magical here. It's 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 just changing the way you approach making your schedule. And I've got to tell a lot of people no, so I can put those priorities first. I think, I think that's so important. The, the saying the n- no and getting better at saying no, and you got to exercise that muscle because you're probably bad at saying no right now. I think we all are because we're in this culture of yes, 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 yes. That's the consumerist culture. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say yes to everything, right. not just the stuff, but like to every opportunity, to every every request, every email. And, and before you know it, you're just... Uh, plagued by endless distractions. So three things for you real quick, Tanya. So easy to do. Number one is start your day with some small victories. Now for me, that can be something as simple as making my bed. And and so I don't always get out of bed first uh, when Bex is there. And so like, uh, we will make the bed eventually, but I, I like to get out of bed way before. She, she'll usually sleep two or three hours after me. And so I'll get up w- and, and start my day with some other small victories. So writing, exercise, reading, things that are our priorities for me. Starting the day early with two or three victories early on, 
that that sets up the momentum for the day. So I already feel like I've succeeded throughout the day. If you if you have to wait all day to the end of the night to, to work out, you may not get around to it, right? But if you've exercised first thing in the morning, you're like, all right, I did that. I feel really good about it. And mm. who knows if I feel great tonight, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll exercise again or I'll do some sort of stretching or yoga or something. Right. And you'll have an additional victory later on in the day. But start the day off with some, with some victories. Uh, number two is you want to avoid distractions. And, mm. and, and part of that has to do with- Amen. What Ryan said to, to, to the no's, uh, you have to be able to say no uh, frequently. And that no can be as simple as saying no to push notifications on your phone. Yeah. I mean, th- those things, it, it, the, we have all these little distractions throughout the day that we're letting other people dictate our schedule, whether it's email or meetings or text messages or pings or tweets or Facebook status updates or instant messenger, whatever it may be. And we have all these distractions. We're letting other people dictate. And before you know it, you're sitting in the passenger seat of your own life. Yeah. I mean, that's the worst thing you can do is say yes to everyone, schedule in uh, the time that they want to take from you, and then look at your calendar and say, oh, now where can I fit my priorities in? I mean, that is the exact opposite of the way to to manage one schedule. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the third thing, last thing I'll recommend to you is develop better habits. I don't have a daily routine per se, but I do have daily habits. And, and the reason I don't have a daily routine is because we're on the road quite a bit or my life changes from day to day. But I do have habits that I must implement every single day. You know, the first three that I mentioned in the morning, reading, writing, and exercise, those are three. I also do physical therapy every single day. But your habits really have to be in line with your priorities or with your values. You need to figure out what those habits are going to be, and you need to make them musts in your life instead of shoulds. It's so easy for us to say, I should work out today, or I should write, or I should contribute to my community in a meaningful way. But the truth is that we can say I should do this. We don't get around to doing it. When it becomes a must, when you have enough leverage, then you're able to to make the decision. Actually, the decision's already made for you. Mm. When you have the habit, you're not making the decision anymore. You've already made the decision. You know, you just have to execute on on that habit. Yeah, and don't be scared to say no. It, it is difficult. Um, you know, I don't want to make it sound easy, but uh, the people in your life who love you and care about you uh, and want you to be happy, they're going to support you and they're going to understand uh, when you say no to something, so you, you can say yes to something else. And the other thing I'll just add real quick is you're probably, most people are, I still am uh, uncomfortable with saying no. And the only way I get better at it is continuing to say no and practicing. So practice saying no and, and uh, don't worry about what your, your friends and family think because if they love you and want you to be happy, they will, they will support you. Indeed, they will. Uh, let's see. Now we actually do have a question from Catherine Cook. All right. Uh, Catherine says, hi, guys. Since I've started living a more minimalist lifestyle, I find myself feeling some anxiety when I'm in cluttered environments or visiting friends and family who have a lot of, quote, stuff. Um, is this normal? Did you guys ever feel like this once you started living intentionally with less? Um, I mean, maybe normal. I, 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 I think is this normal is probably the wrong question to ask, right? Because it may be normal for you. It's not normal for me. I, I don't judge other people's stuff. I, and, and it's funny when when I we were on the road for our first book, Minimalism: Live a Meaningful Life. We would stay at a lot of readers' houses. And Ryan, what's the first thing they would say to us as soon as we walk in? Oh man, no, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, my house isn't exactly nice and tidy right now, and I'm not a minimalist. I'm just a minimalist in practicing. But but please don't judge all my stuff. 
Yeah, and, and what I've learned is that, that judgment is just a mirror that reflects the insecurities of the person who's doing the judging. And so really, anytime I feel anxiety about other people's stuff, it's really showing my own insecurities. And, and, and then I have to start ask, asking myself deeper questions. Why do I feel so insecure about this stuff? Why have I given so much meaning to this stuff? Why do I care about what other people own? Because it's not directly affecting me in any way. Now, obviously, if, if people were buying a bunch of stuff and throwing it at you, that stuff starts affecting you, right? Mm-hmm. But right now, if you're just going to someone else's space, it's not really that big of a deal. <laughs> just imagining like you walking over and like someone hurling a kitchen sink at you or something. <laughs> um, no, I, I totally do get that um, anxious feeling. I think I can relate to this, Catherine. For me, it is the insecurity about uh, what I feel about my own home. And I, I, and you know, I start to think to myself, like, what if I had to live in this home? What if I had to deal with this mess? And it starts to make me feel anxious, like, because I start thinking about how I'd have to clean and I have to get rid of stuff and I'd have to, you know, do all those things that, that I uh, did when I did the packing party. But then I can quickly, uh, I can quickly, you know, look at myself in the mirror and say, Hey Ryan, this isn't your stuff. And you don't have to worry about how you're going to tackle this. In fact, you're here to spend time with your friend or your family member that you're here to see. And for me to give that thought and that anxiety any more thought and let and let that stuff stress me out, it really takes away um, from from that that moment and that time that I'm trying to spend with that that person that I care about. Um, I have been in situations where, like, um, I'll go to a certain family member's house and they smoke a lot and it stinks. And when I leave there, I smell like a tobacco factory. Like it's really really bad. So um, sometimes I will go there and I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to stink and that's okay. But other times, um, you know, I might want to stop or hang out with someone uh, with, with this family member before I go do something else. And I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to smell like smoke before, <laughs> before I go and do my, my second thing that I have to do. So I will ask that family member if they want to meet me for coffee or for lunch. I will uh, ask them if, if, if I can remove them from, you know, th- their house and we can go somewhere else. And I'm, great. and I'm very open with my, with my family member too, but Hey, look, you smoke. And when I leave there, I stink really bad of cigarettes. So I'd rather not hang out at your place right now. Yeah. And, and I think what you're talking about is let's meet in a neutral environment, right? right. Yeah. You're not going to feel intimidated in my space. Cause I don't own anything. Right. And, and I'm, I'm not going to feel anxious in, in your space and you don't have to posit it that way. You, you no. can just say, Hey, let's meet in, in, at a coffee shop. Or I'd really prefer to grab lunch. Uh, you know, I haven't eaten today or whatever, and and that will allow you to have sort of this neutral ground. Yeah. And so you don't feel that anxiety or that judgment. And by the way, that stuff. family member, like when you know, when I say, hey, look, I really don't want to smell like cigarette smoke. Um, I'd rather not hang out at your place. They do not get offended because they understand that. Okay, yeah, we smoke a lot, and Ryan doesn't want to smell like cigarette smoke. And guess what? They love me, and they want me to be happy, so they go out of their way to support me, and yeah. I do the same for them. <laughs> But of course, you don't. You don't. I mean, I don't you, give them an ultimatum. No, you would like for them to stop smoking because sure. you know it's healthy for them. Yeah. But you don't say, "Well, I'm not going to be your friend if you're a smoker." Um, I mean, th- there are times where that's necessary. If someone is is um, is doing something that harms them and their community or them and their friends, mm-hmm. then you may have to distance 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 yourself from them if it's a sort of toxic relationship. That's not what you're talking about here. Is you're not trying to change that person. No. You're just trying to change the environment in which you interact. Yeah, and I'll say too, like when you're talking to someone about something that like this is a great example uh the smell of your house it is offensive you don't want to just come out and say something like that 
Um, what I've learned is whenever you have to have these tough conversations with friends and family, as long as you can show them that you love them, as long as you can show them that uh, you support them, that you, that you want them to be happy, if you can go out of your way to show them that you care about them uh, and respect them, that's the number one thing. If, if they can see that, yes, you're offended by the, the smell, but you still respect them, they're going to react in a very positive way. So like the conversation I had with this family member, it's, it's, it really was as simple as, hey, I've got to go do something else after you and I are supposed to hang out. And every time I leave your house, I smell like smoke a lot. That's okay. I don't mind it usually, but I've got to go do something else. Can we go hang out somewhere else? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. Because I'm not saying, well, you know, you have a tobacco factory in your house and you stink so bad. And yeah, yeah, I mean, you got to be tactful with it and, and show that person respect. And if you can show someone respect, then they will they'll show it back to you for the most part. Keith Callback asks, I frequently get asked for advice on minimizing books and DVDs, but when I say there is nowhere to sell them, and I suggest donating, uh, that I'm often told I might as well just hang on to them then. Any suggestions for how to help my friends find the leverage they need? Yeah, you, you probably don't want to help them find the leverage they need. I mean, here's what I mean by that. If they're not looking for it, yeah, it's like how do you force your friends to play water polo? <laughs> I mean, if they're not if they're not interested in in doing that, maybe they can't swim. Then, then um, trying to force them is is just going to drown them, right? And and so I, I think that you're in the same place. If if they really want to let go of stuff and then they need to find leverage, that's a different question. But if they want to hold on to stuff. It's not really your job for you to determine what things they should or shouldn't hold on to. And I think that's important for all of us. Uh, letting go is, is a highly individual journey and, and even individual in the sense like individual family unit. Uh, and, and so it starts with the one individual quite often, but then it, it can lead to the whole family simplifying their lives. But that's still one individual unit, the family unit, uh, one household is another way to put it. But beyond that, even, even within the household, it's not about forcing the other people. It's about leading by example. And so I, I did the same thing with all of my friends. Many of my friends certainly aren't minimalists. Uh, some of them are, but uh, I think a lot of them have, have benefited from Ryan's recipe and my recipe of, of letting go. And maybe they haven't let go of the same stuff, but it's helped them down that same path toward something more meaningful. Yeah, I mean, there's. I'm, if you're asking her for advice on how you could get leverage for getting rid of your DVDs and your books, um, yeah, I mean, I would just, if someone's asking you that, then like I would tell you, uh, Keith, I'd say, hey, man, um, how many times are you going to read those books? How many times are you going to watch those DVDs? Like if that's what you plan on doing with the rest of your life, like you might want to reconsider what you're planning to do with that time. But Keith, I would only give that advice if someone was asking for it, I would never uh, go to a friend or family member and tell them that. It sounds like through his question, they are asking for it. Um, maybe. I, another, thing I, another thing I thought, yeah, you're right, maybe. I mean, they're not asking directly, like, give me leverage. Right. Um, but but they're, it sounds like they're saying, hey, what can I do? He said, Here's a couple options. And they're finding excuses to hold on. on. They're not asking for more uh, advice or leverage, they're right. just coming back with excuses as to why they should hold on to it. Sure. Well, I might as well hold on to it because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. 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 So yeah, you got you to be careful with that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, we have to go into it w without being judgmental, right? Absolutely. And, and, and here's the, the best tip of what not to do. Don't be passive aggressive about it. Mm -hmm. like, like, don't get someone to tell us, man, 
I'd love to sit down here, but there are all these DVDs in the way. <laughs> You've just thrown DVDs on <laughs> right? the couch. You just throw them on the couch. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you have a really good, like Ryan and I could do that with each other because sure. it'd be hilarious. <laughs> but I think with most people, it would be the most obnoxious thing in the world. Yeah. And uh, in fact, it would only be hilarious now the fact that we, like, uh, here's an example. Like, I just, when you, you went out to Ohio, you left your jacket back in LA. And I went to go get, like, your jacket, and you're like, Josh, we just unpacked the closet, man. And, like, <laughs> you're like, you know, Mariah's stuff is it's behind. My one jacket is behind all of Mariah's stuff. I'm like, I, I'm, I call Ryan up. I'm like, hey, man, I'm having to dig through all this stuff to try to find this jacket. <laughs> um, but, like, it would only be funny now, like, because, like, we, we are on the same page. If you're not on the same page, it seems as it seems like you're arrogant or superior um and and um that's not that's not a way to change someone's mind yeah it's well that doesn't show respect going back to that whole thing it's like if you are uh coming across as superior or mightier than thou then that's not showing one uh respect and if someone if they feel like they're not being respected they are certainly not going to respect you yeah yes yes indeed Crystal asks, what is the best way to get the most out of rejection? How do I use disappointing feedback to encourage myself to move forward to the next pathway? Yeah, I think, I think the pathway to success is actually paved with rejections. Mm. And, and so I learned this early on when I first started doing sales when I was like, I was 18 years old. And, and I think by 19, I had figured out the, the magic recipe to yes was, was a, a road paved with golden nose. Mm. And I remember doing cold calling and having to like get, you know, there was a, an average, like for every, every 10 no's you got, you would get one yes. Right. And sometimes you, you would, and I would write, I would tally it down. I had a tally sheet every single day. And yeah. so, some days you're like, man, I got to my first yes after seven no's. Like how awesome is that? Like my batting average is improving significantly. Yeah. And then after the, you know, then you'd get the one appointment and for every five appointments you got, you got one close. And so you're like, okay, well it takes 50 phone calls for me to get one closed sale. Right. Mm-hmm. That means I, it takes 49 rejections. Yeah. To get one acceptance, and, and it becomes odds at that point. Like the best baseball players in the world fail seventy percent of the time. Mm. Think about that. Three hundred batting average is considered to be stellar, right? Think about a four hundred batting average, which is unheard of, except you know maybe way back Ty Cobb days yeah, or something. something like that. Uh, uh, that means they still failed 60% of the time. 60% of the time they struck out or fly out or whatever. They, got, they were out, yeah. And, and so I think the, the, the key is to not allow that to force procrastination because you're like, oh, I failed. I'll just wait to do the next one. No, that means you're one more no closer to a yes. And so I need to hurry up and get these no's out of the way. That was always my philosophy and it still is my philosophy now. I'm going to screw this up. When Ryan and I go out on tour, we have nights where we, we don't perform our best. We have other nights where we absolutely kill it. And I tell you, that ratio has improved significantly over time. Yeah. We have become, in, in the same sense, like the first time you ever play, first time you ever play play baseball you might strike out every single time right Mm -hmm. and eventually you're going to hit the ball but then you're going to get better and you're going to get better and now like i feel like we strike out less but we still have nights where i'm like strike "Ah." out yeah and it's okay that that it still takes that that failure to get to to get to that success yeah i I mean the the only thing i might be able to like squeeze out of this how to how to learn from your failures question crystal is 
just be clear on why you failed. So if it's, if it's like sales or, you know, batting, whatever it may be like, that's, that's kind of a numbers game, right? You just got to keep going at it. But let's say, you know, there's a relationship you have and it fails. Um, I don't, you know, suggest you go out and fail a hundred relationships. Uh, but I would, you know, look at that one failed relationship and get clear on what was it that didn't, uh, that, that didn't make this click. Was it, uh, we didn't spend enough time with each other. Was I being, uh, respected enough? Was I, um, not respecting my partner enough, whatever it may be. Um, just get clear on why it didn't work. And then you know how to adjust, um, when you try, you know, relationship out again, it can be a little dangerous too, right though? Cause like, um, you know, th- that word jaded mm. gets thrown a lot for people who date like in their thirties right? and in their forties, oh, everyone's so jaded. And, and it would be very easy to hold on to, you know, a lot of past, um, bad interactions with partners and stuff and let that come through with other partners. Um, so, you know, be aware of that also, but you know, if, if you had a partner where, Oh man, they're not, uh, you know, they're always an hour late and they're not calling you when they say they will. And some days you can't get a hold of them and then you find out they're, uh, they're cheating on you. Like that's something you definitely want to take note of and, uh, you know, look for that in other partners. So, I so think, I think that's a great point, Ryan, with, especially with relationships. I think now like with Bex, she's, it's the best relationship I've ever been in by far. And you know this, and I've been in some good relationships. I've been in some really bad relationships, <laughs> as you know, which will eventually make it maybe into the next book. Um, and, and, uh, I've been in mostly mediocre relationships, mm. though. When you think about it, it's like it wasn't it wasn't awful, but it wasn't outstanding. And those actually, the, in a weird way, they were still failures because they 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 failed in the sense that I failed, not the relationship failed. Mm. Uh, but they led to a success in the sense that, and I, and and because of that, I don't even have to look at them as failures anymore. In in that that same sort of context, I can look at them as, wow, that was great for a particular season and and we grew out of that relationship and that's okay but the lessons i learned from those previous relationships i was able to carry those forward and it's the reason my relationship with bex is so good now is because we're able to talk about the things and the failures from the past the lessons that we've learned the times we've struck out the the shitty relationships the mediocre relationships the good relationships where i have failed where she has failed and get that out in the open so mm. we can avoid we can avoid the pitfalls and pursue that which we find meaningful. Absolutely. All right. Our next question, I believe, is from Sally Russell. Yes, it is. Do you, how do you let go of friendships without appearing unkind or arrogant, particularly if you live in a small town and you mm. will cross paths with these people again? First off, you're not going to be able to control how other people feel about you. Yeah. And I think that's one of the... So, so instead of letting go of just the relationship, the first thing we have to let go of is, is worrying about what their interpretation is. Mm. Because... Just as as you can't you can't understand someone else's intentions, it's going to be hard for you to understand what emotions they feel based on the life that you're living. I mean, there are plenty of people who think Ryan and I are what are the the words the, unkind or arrogant, and and I have to be able to. The, the, I think the key is, and this is the takeaway I, I would give you, Sally, is you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say is this the best relationship for this period of my life? Again, going back to that previous conversation, you may have a friendship, a coworker, a boss, a, a romantic relationship, uh, acquaintance, someone else in the community. You may have someone 
where that relationship was really ideal. There were a lot of networking buddies I had back in my 20s, mm. and it made sense for what I was trying to do at the time. But mm. those relationships don't necessarily carry forward. You know, it's the there's the old apothem uh, for a reason for a season. Yeah. And so there was a reason that we, we went through this relationship together. Maybe it was a failure. Maybe I could learn from it. Or maybe it was outstanding, but it's time to move on from that. And, and I, I think the first thing that you need to do is be able to look in the mirror and say, is this the right relationship for me? Does it align with my values? And if not, then that's when you have to find a way uh, to let go of the relationship. But the first thing you have to let go of is the worry about what other people think about you. Because if you get caught up in that, it's just a death trap. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're asking for advice on how to uh, you know, talk to a, a friend right now that you have that you want to you know, stop being friends with, I mean, that's, that's going to be a difficult conversation. There's no doubt about that. And I certainly don't have an easy answer uh, to, to make it easy. What I'll say is that you, you have to have that conversation, though. You have to have that difficult conversation. If you don't, then that friend's going to keep trying to get a hold of you. You're going to keep doing uh, one of few things. You're going to ignore them. You're going to make excuses. Or worse, you're going to go ahead and appease them and just say yes to them and keep hanging out with them because you're too scared to have that hard conversation with and them. And that's not a good friend. Just a, I would hate if all you did was appease me and you would hate if all I did was appease you. Well, yes, that would be yes, that would be a horrible type of friend. That's not a friendship. <laughs> no, that's not a friendship at all. So going back to, um, I love how this keeps coming up, like show your friend respect. Go out of your way to show that person that you respect them, you respect who they are, even if at the end of the day, maybe they're off, you know, uh, I don't know, they're doing, a, they're having some behavior that you don't approve with, at least show, and, and you don't respect their lifestyle, but at least show them that you respect their freedom and their decision to do what they want to do with their life. And, and explain to them that what they do doesn't really align with what you want to do. And you think of a time where you two did hang out and maybe there was something where you went and saw a movie or whatever, whatever it is. You can say, oh yeah, you know what? We can go see a movie if you want to sometimes, but you know, going to the bars and, uh, you know, going out and gossiping. I don't know. I'm just like making up things here as to why you wouldn't want to be uh, friends with this person. But you know, when it comes to those things, yes, like you were going to, uh, try to avoid those activities, uh, more often. I've had friends in the past that, um, I, I've, literally had the conversation with of, Hey, every time I talk to you, it's a very negative conversation. Nothing ever positive comes out of what you and I talk about. Uh, the last, you know, few conversations we have had has been really about, um, what's going on in your life. And I try to, you know, suggest ways to help. And, and I, and, and I also just sit there and listen, but hearing you making the same mistakes over and over again, and, and, and not doing anything to change it, that is, that is uh, it's, it's very negative. And, and I try to avoid as many uh, negative con uh, conversations as possible. I'm happy to be here for you. I'm happy to talk things through it, but I'm not gonna just sit here and listen to your negative stories. I'm really trying to keep this broad because I don't wanna like call anyone out. So my, my, my point is, is that um, having that tough conversation, like now when, that, now when I talk to that person, because I still do talk to them, as soon as it starts to go towards that negative conversation, I will simply say, hey, um, this is really starting to go to that negative route. 
And, you know, I'm happy to sit here and help if you want, but this doesn't feel helpful to me. It just feels like I'm hearing a bunch of negativity. And, I think and, and it'll totally redirect the conversation. And, and you and I do that with each other even. So, oh, yeah, so like all the time, like, hey, man, I, I, I just can't use this negativity right now. I know we're like, this is really frustrating for both of us who worked on this thing and the podcast deleted or whatever. Like, we just weren't happy with it. Like, and we, we start bitching about it. And I'm like, and, and Ryan will be like, hey, you know, like maybe they'll just like put this off for a day. We'll, we'll discuss it tomorrow when it's not like emotionally charged or whatever. Right. And the, the last thing that I will say for um, Sally here is uh, if if you really love someone, but it's a toxic relationship, sometimes the best way to love them is from a distance. Mm. And and it doesn't mean you have to even necessarily have that. Some people it's going to be impossible to have that conversation with, but it's it's possible to distance yourself from them. Our friend Rob Bell says you, you have to have a funeral for the way you wish things were with mm-hmm. your friend. And, and uh, because we can't change those people, right? It's the thing I always say. You can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. Meaning you can start surrounding yourself with new people that take up your time. And that creates that, that distance from the people who, who were toxic. And quite often that can be the best way to love them. All right, we're going over on time, but I got at least one more question right. that we, we should answer here because it. It, it was upvoted. Um, Michelle Saunders asks, do you have any advice on conquering the fear of change? More specifically, my husband and I embrace minimalism and we desire to have a simpler life in regards to home ownership. We cannot, uh, but we cannot seem to pull the trigger to sell our 2.5 story colonial home. I just imagine it had like a four foot floor on the third, <laughs> third story. <laughs> <laughs> the crawl space. Um, that's, I, not, that's not a floor. That's a crawl space. I'm going to recommend actually adding on to the house. <laughs> this is weird weird advice for me to give. No. Uh, okay. Let's see. Uh, we've had this home for 28 years uh, with a large yard, in-ground pool. By the way, there's nothing wrong with those things. An in-ground pool. I mean, I've got friends that have that, and it's pretty great. I wish I would have had one as a kid. I had uh, uh, an aunt that we would go out to once or twice a, a, uh, a, mo- a year, once or twice a year out in Germantown, Ohio. It's like they owned a farm and uh and uh right outside of Dayton. And um we would go there and play in their ground pool and it was really great. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Cool. There's nothing wrong with with owning that, but but here here's where it comes. I add here that it is quite empty. Now, you use that word and it may be physically empty, but my guess is you mean sort of existentially em- empty mm. as well, spiritually empty, yeah. uh, functionally empty as well. Uh, it's empty because we found no happiness in the thing in things, and we spend our time traveling and experiencing things. That's great. So the house doesn't align with your values anymore for a reason, for a season, right? Mm-hmm. It, it sounds like the season has passed. Uh, it sounds like you're wearing a winter coat in the summer now, right? And it's just too much. Uh, it, it has outlived our usefulness, but we fear the unknown, i.e., what if we don't like a new place? Do we make the wrong decision? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We dream of a smaller place, less costs and maintenance, but we continually stall. Um, mm. so, so, I mean, it's, well, if, to me, what stands out? Yeah, what's that? It sounds like she has more leverage right now to keep the house and to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 here's the weird problem: she feels some discontent, but it's not enough pain. Mm. That she says there's no happiness here, but no happiness doesn't mean pain. Mm. No happiness means lack of happiness. Right. And, and you need to get beyond not, no happiness. You, you're in, by the way, you're starting to experience pleasure on the other side of it, but 
Ryan, you said she doesn't have the leverage. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have the leverage because she's not experiencing enough pleasure outside of the home. Mm -hmm. And also, you haven't figured out, like, where where do I want to end up? You, you figure out what you don't want. What you don't want is usually not that compelling. It can be if it pisses you off enough. But this house doesn't piss you off. And so you need to find, in, or, in order to, to find something that's compelling, it's not what you don't want. We know you don't want the house anymore. Mm. What are you going to run to? We don't want you running away from the house just yet because, yeah, it is comfortable. It is safe. I, if I were in your shoes, I'd set a deadline. Yeah, because right now she's running to something that she may not like in her head. Right. And you want to run to something that you are going to love. Mm-hmm. And, and and that means the experience, the place. And again, it doesn't mean that you'll love it forever, right? Ryan and I just moved out to Los Angeles. And it's for a reason, for a season. The reason is that's where people go to tell stories. The season is, you know, we're 36-year-olds right now. And it may be till we're... 37 or 40 or 50 or say we don't know what that season looks like for us right now but we know it's the right choice right now but realizing that everything is is ephemeral everything when you when you look on a long enough timeline so you'll look back you'll say wow that was a great season but it's time for you to change it's time for you to shed that winter coat and you need a deadline and for me uh, you know i don't know enough about your situation but if you have the house paid off or if you're not upside down on the house which it sounds to me like you're probably not then you can go ahead and put it up for sale as soon as you have figured out where you're running to and i would give myself personally three months of crazy research where do i want to go is it the same state same city or do i want to move to a different state different city larger smaller maybe i want to move to a different country for a while maybe i want to travel the world for a year what is going to make you excited to get up every day not that it's not going to be difficult. A lot of it's going to be difficult, especially if if you're traveling or you're you're in a new place. That's going to be much more difficult than staying where you are. But that difficulty, that friction, is what's going to allow you to grow and also help you feel most alive. Yeah, I totally agree. Set a deadline. Um, you've got to find something to run towards that you absolutely love because that's you are in a comfortable spot right now. It sounds like your home is is uh, beautiful. And you want something that's just as beautiful, then great. Find something just as beautiful and run towards it. But sitting at home and, and, and cr- creating all these excuses to just continue to sit and not sell your house, um, that, that, is, that is not uh, giving you the right leverage. So set a deadline, find something you love, and, and start getting leverage to, to leave the place. What's your name, brother? Uh, oh, Hi. Welcome uh, to the bonus round. All right. <laughs> Well, my name's Lucas. I'm a student here at UD. I'm a cool. sophomore. Oh, yeah. thanks, man. Thanks so for being coming here. Coming out, man. Yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, I live here, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, where are you from originally? Uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. Another great Midwestern city. Yeah. 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 Oh, so uh, my question is... You can get a little closer to that mic if you don't mind. All right. I know you're oh, super so tall. What are you, like, 6'9"? <laughs> <laughs> Not that tall. Uh... So, uh, <laughs> you can take it off. Babe. It's all right. I don't know. I feel like I'm going to drop it. That's all right. It's a microphone. If it drops, it's been dropped a million times, I'm sure. Right. There you go. Oh, no. Oh, okay. There you go, dude. <laughs> Thanks for the assist, sir. Yeah. So, my question is what do you guys believe is the common good? And how does minimalism contribute to that? Yeah, yeah. So, so. so that's a great question, by the way. You'll very awesome. rarely hear me say that. Um, um, 
All of the previous questions were the crap compared to that question, yeah, Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> no, wait, here's, here's why I'll rarely say that, because it's, I usually say, I caught myself a long time ago, I would go back, like, like watching game tapes and like listen to old interviews we did to see how awful it was. Mm-hmm. And like I would say that after every question. Oh, great question. They throw you a <laughs> softball like, hey, what is minimalism? Oh, what a great question. <laughs> and I realized like I was just saying this to like to fill space, kind of like I'm doing right now. Um, no, and so so uh, you said did you say common good? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I would say greater good. Greater and, good. And and, um, and and so I tend to think of greater good as in how do we maximize the ideal life for the most number of people? Uh, Ryan earlier talked about how it's not a perfect life, it's not an easy life, it's a simple life. And, and when, when you simplify your life, I find quite often you start to figure out what's actually important and, and what's going to contribute to the, the greater good. And what does that mean, greater good? It just means beyond myself. It means I have to get my life in order before I can start to try to contribute in some meaningful way. Whether that's something like going to the House of Bread over in West Dayton and, and contributing to, to people who just need food, or it's finding ways to contribute a message that may simplify people's lives. The, the greater good is how, how do we maximize the happiness, meaning, happiness and meaning in, in people's lives. And I think it's a landscape. So, so if you think of a landscape, there are peaks and valleys, right? And so the, the peak of my life might be slightly different from the peak of your life. Like what is maximized for me might be different for you. And I think it's different for each individual person in this room. And, and that means the ideal happiness or ideal life is going to look slightly different for each person. So the greater good is, is an amalgamation of, of everyone who's in here, or everyone who's listening to this, and how do we try to maximize or, or improve their life? And so how do we minimize to maximize is sort of a way. And here's the problem. We're stuck in all the valleys of that landscape right now. And minimalism teaches us that there's a different place from these valleys. We've been, we've been blanketing our lives with stuff to try to make us happy. Ryan talked earlier about filling the void with stuff, and it just widens the gap. It makes that, that valley in the landscape wider, and it makes it harder to find these peaks and valleys. Um, there's something that's sad. Um, we, we, we're, we're in a lot of pain, and I think we try to medicate a lot of times with stuff, but we also try to medicate with, with, uh, with, with drugs. So we're in Montgomery County right now. This is the overdose capital of the United States. And I don't know what the solution to that is. Um, and so I feel very lucky um, to not have that addiction myself. But I also feel very sympathetic because I know a lot of people in my own personal life who, who do have that addiction. And I don't know what the overall solution is other than going out and helping the people that I can't help. And it doesn't mean fixing everyone's life. But I think... Living a simpler life allows us to reprioritize what, what our actual priorities are and maybe, just maybe, suffer less as a result. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I feel like I'm giving the same answer to different questions. Uh, minimalism helps us to realize like we don't need nearly as much as what we desire 
And once one has that true realization of like, wow, like I can just be happy with the things I have now. I don't have to have a new car every couple of years. I don't have to have a nice big home. I don't have to go on that fancy vacation every, I mean, once some, once one realizes like, oh, wow, like I actually, I, I need to focus more on my priorities rather than on stuff. It opens the door for people to contribute. So um, like if I, I was trying to think of something pithy, um, the pithiest thing I could come up with is minimalism can help someone fill the void with contribution towards their community rather than stuff. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Thanks Lucas. Appreciate it. Can I, uh, can I get a hug? Hell yeah, you can. Yeah, I know you guys are hugging. Yeah, you don't dude, have to bring wait till after. Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> he is 6'9". All right, um, we got time for one more. Actually, we don't have time, but we'll make time for one more. What's your name, brother? Thank you very much. I'm, uh, I'm Nick. I'm from Columbus, Ohio, so not too far from here. I'm a student here currently, though. Oh, cool. Wait, did I hear woo? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Columbus. Columbus. I heard an OH out there somewhere. Oh, God. Oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong school, Ryan. <laughs> it, we actually did that at our Columbus stop this year, and it, was, uh, it felt very cult-like. So um, I'm currently pursuing a degree in uh, mechanical engineering, pursuing my bachelor's. And um, you know, as an engineer, once I get out, I'll have a good paying job. That's not really part of it, but. Um, <laughs> uh, so somebody who, as an engineer, I feel like we have a lot of stress on us to produce, mm -hmm. to innovate, and to come up with a lot more stuff. Mm -hmm. Sure. Come up with tons of things, and we, in my opinion, are throwing more of these um, wants or desires into um, society. Fidget spinners. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> so I guess in your guys' eyes, how could I, as an engineer, promote more of a minimalistic society? Yeah. I have the perfect idea for you, dude. Uh, biodegradable cell phone. Um, <laughs> biodegradable TV, uh, biodegradable laptop. Like, no, I, I, we, we need stuff, man. Like, um, we have a microphone, I've got a laptop. There is an opportunity cost that comes along with producing those things. If I was an engineer, man, like that's where my head would be. Maybe you don't start with a cell phone. Maybe it's, you know, uh, think of something that we view as disposable and that we're constantly throwing out and filling the landfill with with things that are gonna be there for hundreds of years, centuries, uh, and think about how you can help minimize uh, that, that, that waste. So I think it's awesome you're an engineer. I think it's awesome that you are uh, getting into this minimalist mindset. So it's like, how, how, can you, how can you take these simple ideas and apply them towards the things that you make? And you're gonna get a ton of pushback, dude, because the world that you're gonna go into, it is, how can we create a one? How can, we, how can we make someone feel like they need this thing? And I, I think you can you know, kind of marry the two ideas with, with going down you know, the road, something like that. Yeah, I think you don't have to be part of the problem. I think it's easy to become part of the problem, though. I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, so first off, Ryan and I refuse to do ads on our podcast. Um, they're 100% advertisement free. But um, 
it's, there's a weird irony here. Like, if we decided to do ads on our podcast, we'd be rich right now. L- like, literally. Like, uh, like, seven figures a year rich. Uh, that's how many people listen to this. It's one of the biggest podcasts in the world, which is a really weird thing to say. And so, the, the path of least resistance for me would be, well, yeah, that makes sense. We all like money. And here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with money. In fact, yeah, money can, well, here, here, so, so money doesn't solve all of our problems, but it does solve all of our money problems. <laughs> right? The weird thing about that, though, is almost all of our money problems are self-inflicted. Um, I grew up really poor and thought, well, hey, we're not happy because we don't have money. And then I became rich in my 20s and realized that, like, well, hey, wait a minute. The reason I wasn't contented earlier was we had a lot of money problems that were self-inflicted. And then I had money problems in my 20s that were self-inflicted. And, in fact, I was technically more broke when I was, in, when I was rich because I had this thing called debt. And, and I had a lot of people who would be willing to give me enough well, enough money so that I could continue to pay them back with lots of interest. And, and so, um, in a weird way, I was just reproducing the problem on a grander scale. And as an engineer, you have that opportunity to reproduce a problem. And I think advertisements are a huge part of the problem in our society. And, and so that's why we won't get behind that. Uh, is there a way to do it ethically and, and, and sustainably and, and, and do good advertising? Yeah, probably. But it's just not in line with our ethos, and so we're not going to talk about what mattress we sleep on at night or, um, or what a shaving, uh, whatever podcast. Yeah, Wedgie-free underwear. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I think ever- pending. Sorry, that was a good idea. <laughs> and I, I think that that you can choose to create. Ryan and I create. You can create as in, as an engineer in a way that, that is sustainable and aligns with your values. Is it going to be difficult? Hell yeah, it is. But everything worth doing is difficult, man. Thanks for your question, Nick. Thank you very much. Yeah. Can I have a hug, too? Hell yeah. Yeah, dude. Hi, Josh and Ryan. This is Heather from San Diego, and I am calling to answer Riley's question from your most recent podcast episode called Toxic. She seemed like she really was interested in minimalism and wanted to, as she put it, evangelize it without trying to convert people. And I think that's really honorable. And I just wanted to give my experience. I became a minimalist about a year ago um, from listening to your guys' podcast. And I had already had a YouTube channel at this point. And what I did is I started to channel my interest in minimalism into my YouTube channel. And people started to find my channel even more because they were searching for minimalism. So I feel like if you don't want to just shout into the void and try to convert people to minimalism, try to convert your friends to minimalism, having a YouTube channel or just a blog like you guys do is a way to put that message out there and have your audience be people who are actually interested in hearing about it and incorporating it into their lives. So, Riley, you seem like you're really confident talking in front of people. You might be really confident talking to a camera. You seem like you have a really fun personality. I feel like you might do really well starting a YouTube channel about minimalism where people will search and actually be wanting to hear what you have to say. And it's really great and really fun, and I will be your first subscriber. So I hope this helps, and have a great day. 
Hi, this is Melissa. I currently live in Hawaii, and I am calling after listening to your podcast in Ottawa. And I had a suggestion for the young lady in high school who is working 16-hour weekends and 60-hour work weeks during the summer. Honey, you can do half that as long as you also work the same amount those four years in college. So if you work eight-hour weekends, in high school and eight-hour weekends in college, right, and you work 30-hour weeks in high school and 30-hour weeks in college, you can cut that time in half and still leave college debt-free. And when you're in high school, you can take that extra time and apply for scholarships. So I hope that this message reaches you, and take care. Mahalo. This is Kristen in North Carolina. I have a suggestion for parents who want to encourage children to donate and minimize, especially in light of the Christmas season where there is an expectation of getting a lot of presents and bringing new items into the household. Put a laundry bin or basket under the Christmas tree and say it's from Santa and that you have to give in order to receive. It becomes almost a game such that children are encouraged to place in the basket toys they no longer play with or clothes they no longer wear such that Santa will then bring them new presents. They'll learn the value of letting go of old items that will go to other children in need and also will help parents declutter in the process. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for and you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it so take your eyes away, or take 